wonderfully presented by, is it Patty, who did the children? Like, that was spot on. That was right on the money. So, the Lord has been taking me on a pilgrimage of prayer. Can you imagine that? A retired pastor just now really learning to become a man of prayer. So, what I would love to present humbly, aware of my own great inadequacies in this area, is to challenge us to think about the ministry of prayer. So the scripture this morning, you don't even need to go search for it in your Bibles. It's real simple. It's real direct. It's short. Hallelujah, huh? (laughs) Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Our scripture for us today is going to be just those five words. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Not teach us how to pray, but teach us to pray. If your doctor tells you you need to start walking, he's not going to teach you how to walk. He's just going to say, go walk. You know how to walk. We have gigabytes of apps and devotionals and Kindle books on how to pray. But I really don't believe that's our problem, as you're going to see in a few minutes. We just need Jesus to teach us to pray, to follow Jesus, and observe how regularly he turned to prayer. The whole purpose of the gospel is to move us from talking about God to what? Talking to God. It's glorious that Jesus ushers us in where we can actually talk to God. Right now, high in the Himalayas, there are Tibetan monks with flags and bells praying. There are birthing mothers in maternity ward right over here at Carillion who are praying, crying out to God, right? A lot of that going on. There are Muslims responding five times a day to the call to prayer. Children pray. They don't need to be taught how. There are monks in the Sion Benedictine Abbey down the road in Callaway. And today, over 5,000 missionaries of charity founded by Mother Teresa began their day and will continue their day By praying. Hasidic Jews stand and pray at the wailing wall of Herod's temple in Jerusalem, and stuffed into the cracks of the stones are thousands of handwritten prayers of tourists. Men down at the level 5-6 maximum security prison at Wallens Ridge near Big Stone Gap pray a lot because most of them are confined over 20 hours a day. 
one man who I've gotten to know down there in the last 17 years. When I walk into that gym, he walks up to me and he says, Tom, I pray for you every day. I don't, I don't even pray for my wife every day. That's very humbling. Prayer is what Eugene Peterson calls our native language, our first language. Instinctively, we know how to turn to God in prayer. The book, Eat, Pray, Love, which was made into a movie by, I think, by the same title, by Elizabeth Gilbert. She writes so disarmingly in that book. She says, Hello, God. How are you? I'm Liz. I've never spoken directly to you before. Can you please help me? I'm in desperate need of help. I don't know what to do. That's prayer. That's prayer. A recent United Kingdom survey reports that one in the five adults pray despite this, pray despite identifying as non-religious people. The survey also reported that half of all adults in the UK prayed at other times just than just crisis, like when they're cooking or exercising. And even more shockingly, one in four of those who identify as atheists and agnostics pray in times of crisis. It's just hard to find a consistent atheist, isn't it? (laughs) To be human is to pray. Prayer is not optional or peripheral. It's not for the uber-spiritual and the greatest, most alive, most influential man who ever lived. That would be Jesus, by the way. Was remarkably known as a man of prayer. Mark tells us that Jesus arose very early in the morning while it was still dark to get away in solitude and pray. In Luke six twelve, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. You're already feeling this, I think. <laughs> I'm going to keep working this because it is my belief that this is what the Holy Spirit is doing across the globe. So what, why is prayer such a thin slice of the cake in a lot of our churches? Why is it so often casual, shallow, and brief? Most of us will answer by saying three words. I'm too busy. But get this. Did you have to finish your life's work in three years? Jesus did. He finished his life's work. In three years. And yet Luke writes in chapter 5, 16, that Jesus, with all the crush of activity and responsibilities, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Often. That's why his disciples begged him to teach them to pray. 
over and over and over again, they saw Jesus turn away from the fog of battle and the incessant pressure of people despising or demanding things from him, turning to prayer like a lithium battery at the center of his heart, focusing eyeglasses on his life. Jesus didn't add a little bit of prayer to his life, you know, like a little pickleball on Thursday afternoon or a little bit of coconut oil in your coffee in the morning. Jesus was a man of prayer. And that simple text that I read at the beginning, Luke 11, 1, it says Jesus was praying in a place, and, the, and when he was finished, the disciples asked him. Which means the disciples watched and observed him praying. And there was something about it that they said, I want that. That has got to be your power source. One year ago, I mean one week ago, August 27th, was the anniversary of the ignition of a prayer meeting at a small village in eastern Saxony. That's near Osterland in Germany. A small village called Hernhut. On that day, 24 men and 24 women from the community entered into solemn covenant that they would keep watch in prayer continuously for every hour of the day. They logged it. But they forgot to set a finish date on it. And surprisingly, those 48 people ignited the community to a prayer meeting, get this, 168 hours every week for 100 years. Yeah. Continuous prayer meeting for a hundred years. They ignited a strong, sustained heartbeat. Those ordinary people from Hernhut has been the inspiration for a remarkable doppelganger today called 24-7 Prayer. Pete Gregg is the pioneering leader of a movement that has now spread to 78 nations and founded 22,000 prayer rooms in the cities all over the globe. Prayer rooms where people pray every hour of the day in 22,000 cities of the world. Jesus, on his last visit to the temple, Kind of like coming into church. He wasn't happy. He was heated. And he went through the courtyard and he was angry and he was physically abusive and he overturned the table and threw people out who were fleecing people as they came into church. You know, in order to keep the temple running, there's all this stuff we just got to keep doing. But Jesus justified his righteous anger and quoted Isaiah and said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. That is, Jesus is saying, when the people of God come together, it should be obvious that they're praying. Prayer should be the obvious center of their gathered time. So Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray. And Jesus' response was not disappointment. 
not sarcasm. He didn't belittle them. He didn't say, oh, come on, by now, guys, really? Prayer, you should know this by now. He didn't do that. You know, when Sherry and I were teaching our three children, raising them, when they began to talk, I don't know when was that, two years old, something like that, we didn't belittle, belittle them when they got stuff wrong or muttered. We loved it. We encouraged it. And our Heavenly Father will do the same thing too. Jesus did teach them to pray. We read at the beginning of the book of Acts that the people came back from when Jesus went up to heaven, came back to Jerusalem, went up to the upper room, went inside, and what were they doing? Whiteboarding how we're going to go to the ends of the earth? Did they overnight from Amazon a bunch of mission books? Did they enroll in Dale? Saved on office supplies, didn't it? That's what they did. In Eugene Peterson's commentary on the book of Revelation, he comes to the passage in chapter 8 about the prayers of the saints and the half hour of silence in heaven, and Peterson writes this. While conflicts raged between good and evil across the empire, prayers went up from little devout bands of first century Christians. Massive engines of persecution and scorn were ranged against the Christians. They had neither weapons nor votes. They had little money and no prestige. And why didn't they have mental breakdowns? Why didn't they cut and run? Answer, you know it. They prayed. They prayed. And then the text of Revelation goes on to say there were peals of thunder, voices, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. In other words, the earth was shaken daily by their prayers. The early Christians were the epitome of powerlessness, and yet their prayers powerfully changed the world. And that's why the title of the sermon is from the poet Tennyson. More things are wrought by prayer than this world ever dreamed of. Or to say it in Revelation's incredible truth to us. It's not technology. It's not innovation. It's not the economy. It's not political power that turns the wheels of history on this planet. It's the prayers of God's people. That's the truth. That is the truth. The prayers of God's people turn the wheels of history. So again, Lord, teach us to pray. Some of you are thinking right now, oh, yeah, but that was a long time ago. Hernhut, who knows where that is in Germany? Far, far away. Could this happen in 2023? 
It already did. Back in February, for 16 straight days at Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University in Kentucky, it was filled night and day for 16 days with students, professors, and many others gathered together to quietly worship and pray night and day. It was unsought. It was totally unexpected. It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they dared to keep Jesus as the central figure for 16 days and not let anybody else hog the stage. Like Hut, like Pentecost, it wasn't the result of effort. It was the work of grace of the outpouring of the Spirit. When God moves among us and ignites a fresh, strong, sustained heartbeat of prayer, we also will confess, there's nothing about us. We're not noteworthy. We're not special Christians. God just decided to move among us. Well, I believe that this is what God is doing in post-COVID American church. Isaiah 43, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and springs in the desert. God is raising up a generation of people who are rediscovering the critical importance of power of prayer. That is the bleeding edge, I believe, of what the Spirit of God is stirring up across the globe. So just, if you'll permit me, a little bit of a challenge here. Will your church family here begin to take some small steps of simple obedience together, asking Jesus to teach you to pray? Or again, if you'll pardon me for being blunt, will you sleep through the revolution? This is the exciting thing that God is doing. He's calling us back to prayer. All of us feel badly about our prayer lives. I feel badly about my prayer life. But the church can't continue excusing ourselves with that false humility. We can't continue to try to do church with the sciatic nerve of prayer severed so we can no longer walk the gospel out. When so many people are walking away from the church today, we need to be walking back to the church to make it a house of prayer. Lord, Teach us to pray. New York City, Lower Manhattan, 1857. Remember that little piece. New York City, 1857. You've seen the movies of what that probably looked like in the nitty-gritty. Middle-class Protestants were moving out. Immigrants were moving in and establishing business. So a church hired Jeremiah Lanfear to reach out to the new immigration population. It didn't work. (laughs) So he changed direction. And because of all the financial turmoil at that time in the city, he decided to offer local businessmen and tradespeople an opportunity for prayer in the middle of the week on the third floor of their church building. The meetings were to be devoted only to prayer. No preaching, no messages, no denominational distinctives. September 23, 1857, six people showed up. 
the second day, 20. I mean, the second week, 20. The third week, 30 to 40. So Lanfear and the group decided to make it a daily meeting and to expand to a second room in the building, precisely as the New York business community experienced severe financial crisis and October 13, many of the banks closed. But by the end of October, the Fulton Street prayer meetings had expanded to well upwards of 100 participants every day, five days a week, and occupied three lecture rooms in the church building. Soon other churches began establishing similar meetings at the same time that the Fulton Street facility was running out of space. The nearby Methodist church on John Street opens its doors to daily overflow of visitors and soon ran out of space. Burton's Theater in the Manhattan Commercial District opened its doors and was full before the start of the meeting. By March of the following year, just six months later, there were 6,000 people gathered every midday to pray. And that led to the awakening. And 475,000, by conservative estimates, people came into the church as new converts. Some estimates go as high as a million. Starting with prayer. After my first eight months of retirement, last December, I realized my life was getting thin. And I needed to fill an aching hole in my heart. So in January, I began to ask, ended up asking six men, if they would consider meeting with me weekly to just pray on Wednesday mornings. To my great surprise, every single one of those six, when I asked them, They immediately said, yes. They didn't say, that's a good opportunity. I'll think about that and I'll get back to you. We're ready. We know we need this. We're not any good at it, but we know we need to do this. This past week, we fasted and prayed for a friend with cancer. He was supposed to have an operation on Wednesday that would clean out a lot of the cancer from his abdominal cavity. We had actually been praying for him for nine months. Wednesday, a bunch of people fasted and prayed the whole day. The doctor went in, opened him up, closed him right back up. Nothing we can do. In this church family as in my own heart this week, you could tell similar stories of an unanswered prayer. All of us need to remember that Jesus had unanswered prayer, right? Lord, if you can't take this cup away from me. Paul had unanswered prayer. Three times he said, Lord, take this away. And God said, no, And the God that I mentioned earlier, Pete Gregg, who started, ignited a worldwide movement of prayer, three or four times a week he comes home to his wife who is having an epileptic fit. For 20 years he has prayed for her and he comes home three or four times a week to unanswered prayer. We need 
in the church to be more honest about the messiness, the doubts, the failures, the discouragements of the Christian life. We do. It's not enough to dress up and smile. I would love to give a lot more talk about unanswered prayer, but let me just recommend to you God on Mute by Pete Craig. He wrote this for his wife after watching for 20 years her struggle with epilepsy. Well, here's the closing invitation or excitation. Lord, teach us to pray. Yes, even us. The church can no longer carry around the idea of prayer like we carry around umbrellas in our cars. It's there just in case we might need it someday. How bad does it have to get before we go to our knees? Will we wake up to the condition of our land? There's already desperate times of viral epidemics, opioid epidemics. Death from overdose has increased by 15% in the last two years. Our Surgeon General says there's an epidemic of loneliness. There's an epidemic of mass shootings from Columbine, Sandy Hook to Chapel Hill last week. 470 mass shootings so far in 23. That's an impossible number. There's an intense, sustained public war for the right to kill babies in their mother's wombs. Yes, I said that. The CDC reports that 9 out of 10 people in the U.S. believe we are in a mental health crisis. For the first time in Gallup polling, adults in the United States who go to church, synagogue, or mosque are under 50%. First time ever. More people have walked away from the church in the last 25 years than all the people who walked into the church in the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and all of Billy Graham's revivals put together. There is a crisis. What will it take for the church to once again walk back into the church and make it a heart, make it a house of prayer? More things are wrought by prayer than this world ever dreamed of. St. Augustine. You might have heard that name before. You know him as St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, one of the great outstanding theologians, church fathers. But when he was a teenager, he was a loose cannon, he was off the rails, he was promiscuous and bawdy, and wanted nothing to do with his mother Monica's Nagging exhortations. Monica finally gave up and devoted herself daily. She would walk to the church and pray, and nothing would silence her. She prayed and prayed and prayed for her son. And he gave his life to his gracious Savior and went on to become the leading bishop of the church in North Africa, one of the greatest in the church. But in later years, Augustine would say, he would describe himself as nothing 
but the son of his mother's tears. Are there some Monicas in here? That's my challenge. Are there some Monicas in your church family? Who is it who will be the fruit of your tears of prayer? Laboring, not giving up, sustained prayer. Who today, as you have listened to the sermon, is being moved by the Holy Spirit to take some baby steps and beginning to pray with some other people? This is, this is a work of the Spirit. I'm not here to say make a resolution to try much harder. That's, it's got to be a work of the Spirit. Who is that in your church family who will say, yes, yes, it's time. We need this. Jesus was a man of prayer. And if we're going to be his disciples, then we need to ask him to teach us how to pray. What could happen at FEPC? If there was a small core centering prayer at the heart of your life together. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord God, as we have listened to those five simple words this morning, we know that you're calling us. Lord, we confess that our current lives of prayer are either non-existent or unspectacular, inconsistent, whatever adjective. But Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Ordinary people like us, teach us to pray. Encourage us, Lord, as we gather together to learn to pray regularly. Encourage us But more than that, Lord, you are the God who hears prayer. In response to our prayers, Lord, begin to move in us, in our children, in this city, in our nation, in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.